I I don't know how to write the intro, <clears throat> and it's a real thing. So, rather than do my normal thing where I, I, I script it pretty tight and have a little uh, phone clamped up right under here under the, the lens, and I try to mostly have it memorized by like the fifth take, it's, it's, it's tight, I know what I'm going to say. Um, I certainly have thought of making bullet points, but at the same time, I was like, I haven't really riffed one out, so to speak, in quite a while. <clears throat> but uh, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know <laughs> the it, it's 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 been a pretty pretty wild ride from where it started. It's just a, a hobby and something. Uh, medium I wanted to explore, uh, mostly to celebrate really great grassroots musicians. And <clears throat> so if you've been listening from the beginning, then you've seen it sprawl, you know, initially into just other, you know, stories that I thought were important or, or topics or people that I knew that weren't related to music. Uh, it got personal on different things. Um, and then as I decided, you know, when I decided to make this leap into journalism, then that's really what it became. And I'd longed to get back to music, uh, just for anyone's curiosity. <clears throat> and if you're a, a longtime listener, even like, a, you know, you've only been listening for a couple of, you know, months or so, or if you just now are, you know, going to go look back at my catalog, uh, you'll see like, oh, I haven't put out a lot, whether it's on my newsletter or on this podcast. Uh, my last interview was a lengthy one with a YouTube creator I really respected um, uh, his work, and he was receptive to just coming on and chatting. Uh, it was my opportunity to sort of out myself as an anarchist, I guess. And <clears throat> today's interview, to an extent, outs myself in another way and that's what has made the inner the intro so uh precious or in, i guess precious isn't the right word um i want to be precise yeah that's the p word i'm looking for and i want to be um I want to, first off, no matter what, where this is going, all the content warnings, because we um, it does get into, like, sexual abuse, child abuse, rough stuff. Um, but more than that, sort of um, subject matter predicate, not really a warning, um, because what my guest today, Phil Fairbanks, goes into is, uh, you know, what most people immediately wipe their, you know, wave their hands at and dismiss as conspiratorial thinking or, you know, like, whatever. Uh, and to that, I would say, you know, take in his work and judge it on <laughs> what what he's actually written and where he sourced it to, which is it is very meticulously sourced. Um, but bigger than that, I want to just sort of say, like, well, why why am I having this on my show? 
with what my focus of journalism has been is nothing near what Phil's touching. Um, but to answer that question, I guess uh, I can bring up how Phil and I first met, which is uh, a mutual follower on Twitter um, was aware of something that I actually haven't talked about until now, which is the fact that I've been getting um, libel threats from the attorney representing Dan Casares over my coverage of the Tony Viola story. And these threats came to me in early January. And uh, so I parsed over them and I've been covering other developments in the trial, but just waiting to see, okay, you've, you've made that threat. But here's the thing. There was never any specificity to it. It was, you wrote this article Here's a, several pages of this judge's opinion about the case. And here's some, you know, innuendo and criticism of another source in your story. Um, fix your article. So I've since then had a back and forth where through uh, my attorney, Peter Patakos, who's representing me uh, in these communications. And he's, it's been over two weeks now. I think it's like close to like 16 days since we said, give us specifically what is incorrect in my coverage. And we have yet to hear back. And Phil was facing similar libel threats for a story he's covering that I will link in the description. It's pinned on his profile. Uh, it's about a Houston uh, racketeering. I guess it's the shorthand is a reverse Madoff. Uh, very interesting deep dive. Um, tragic story. But So he's facing libel threats from some of the people he targets in that that were equally uh, vague and have been non-responsive to requests for, um, you know, tell me exactly what's wrong. So that's how he and I first just sort of hit it off. And then um, I had actually, uh, either shortly before or shortly after, but it was all very close and disconnected, I heard about him. Uh, I heard his interview on the podcast, Program to Chill, which gets into the subject of parapolitics and uh, dirty business dealings and all the sort of shady things below what are, you know, you'd consider overt politics, what you can find in the historical public record versus what you find reading between the lines and doing some deeper research. Again, you know, if you're a regular listener to this show, you're like, where the fuck is this podcast going all of a sudden? Um, but I, th this is really important to understand here. <clears throat> the very first story I broke basically, you know, like, came from looking at a uh, slew of examples that were being reported in <clears throat> various forums online about shady organizers that people suspected were law enforcement or possibly like feds or cooperators uh, popping up and sort of commandeering some attention or momentum away from the George Floyd movement. And just following all these weird, like, you know, like, that's, you know, conspiratorial, but this person's posting all of this video evidence and a, and a, 
a detailed account. That all led to like finding out there was someone shady here in Cleveland, which I fully sussed out and found out, you know, whether it's connected to that whole web of shit or not, um, found out it was a shady person that was lying and trying to, and, and, and did effectually, uh, take a lot of time, attention, money, and, um, media coverage away from a much more, uh, pointed protest that was approved by family members over an injustice that had happened in Cleveland. Uh, whereas the guy I exposed was using the name of Tamir Rice to gather a bunch of people in a park where he was killed to celebrate and pretending he was friends with her, Tamir's mother and wasn't. So, you know, how's that get conspiratorial? Well, jump to now, however long it's been since, um, I really decided to say, yes, I'm going to do journalism. I'm going to learn by doing it. Um, I have a slew of wrongful conviction stories now that I've looked into deeply. The most, uh, the most thoroughly researched published one now is Tony Viola. Um, then you get into stories of police abuse that I've covered, like Luke Stewart and so forth, and you watch how the, the city responds to that. All of these on certain levels are, you know, they're conspiracies of, of silence, of, of systemic uh, inertia, the system's reflexivity to protect itself. Um, this stuff happens when people have the amount of power they have as a county prosecutor or a judge or, you know, a law director in a city. They will wield that power. Um, and they will commit state crimes against democracy. And that's a term that I, I learned when researching the, the history of the term conspiracy theory. And I think it would be if you're someone who um, has sort of a, a reflexive um, revulsion from anything that gets into certain topics that you that that label um, applies for you. It would be um, really worth your while to watch uh, a video. I will I will link somewhere wherever it dings. What is it there? There I forget. Um, that that goes into the history of that and um, the the author of that piece. Uh, I have his name here, so I don't mess it up. Lance DeHaven Smith. He coins that term "state crimes against democracy." And I started, I wrote a book about the 2000 election and specified the crimes that were committed. It was published by the University Press of Florida, an academic book. Got relatively little attention, but it, it laid, the, the facts were there. But when I, I saw that nothing was going to happen about it, I started studying this topic. And um, I came up with this term, state crimes against democracy. I have a, a definition for it. Concerted actions or inactions by government insiders intended to manipulate democratic processes and undermine popular sovereignty. It's a terribly turgid definition. The way I developed it was I did a list of, of what these suspicious events are. There's some that we know, there's no dispute about uh, the uh, Watergate break-in, the crimes of Watergate, the Iran-Contra scandal. The, the uh, outing of Valerie Plame, the lying us into war in Iraq. This is all documented. So we know that there are these high crimes. 
to subvert democratic processes. And that's what I'm seeing on a local level, on the ground. And those conspiracies, as I was saying, if they exist when people have that amount of power and they, they wield it for a multitude of reasons. And the other major thing that's kind of happened this week that as I release this podcast, if this comes out the day after I'm recording this, um, I will be uh, attending day six of a trial of a young man named Martez Burrell. And with the timeliness of releasing this, I want to, I do want to, before I even go into Phil's episode, go over the facts of the case of Martez Burrell being prosecuted for murder by the East Cleveland Police Department. I highly recommend anyone go uh, research the history of the East Cleveland Police Department. That will, you know, you can pause this and come back and do that. But I think a lot about them will come up. So, Martez Burrell was friends with Stephen Swain Jr. Close friends. They went to uh, homegoing together. Um, they hung out quite a lot, but as they got older, it seemed that Steven was getting a lot more uh, violent, aggressive, drawn into uh, gun culture, um, and getting into a lot more scuffles with a lot of people in, in, in their circles. So, Steven Swain Jr. was murdered on October 30th. He was found dead in the street, and now I'm just going to kind of roll through the facts of the case um, that I've learned. His body was discovered by Officer DeMarco Johnson. DeMarco Johnson was posted up uh, on a nearby street uh, minding traffic while there was a uh, fire at a nearby recycling plant. He heard several shots fired, but he didn't leave his post because, according to him, that was his protocol, was to stay where he was for what he was supposed to be there for. And then uh, he did not have a radio at his cell phone. And then out of the night came a witness running up to him, told him there's a dead body in the street. This person was never held for questioning. DeMarco went to the scene, found Stephen Swain Jr. was dead, called in a unit. Now, one of the first detectives, the on the scene apparently was is under dispute it's all fuzzy but we do know that the main person they brought in to testify in this case was captain <clears throat> kenneth lundy so over the course of several days and i, I watched this trial from wadir jury selection all the way up to um kenneth lundy's testimony on friday and in between that we had um, a whole day devoted to meticulously going over the wounds of Stephen Swain Jr. Um, he, as though this were like, you know, Oliver Stone's JFK with the magic bullet or something. And because none of that was necessary to understand who killed him. Uh, in my opinion, it seemed to be just there to psychologically uh, shock and, 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 create sympathy in, from, from the jury. Um, there was one witness who was called who I believe the prosecution thought was going to directly um, accuse Martez, 
of wanting to get revenge against Stephen Swain for a uh, dispute over a car theft that had happened um, a month or so prior to um, Swain's death, in which Swain was standing on top of a car, and he said, yo, come get your whip, uh, tell your boys they're bitches or something, you know, derogatory, and he tagged um, Martez Burrell in that. But uh, in in my reading and the defense's reading, the that was to tell him to tell someone else, I have their car. And those people uh, were actually very upset that <clears throat> that Stephen Swaim stole the car. So that Instagram post is what the East Cleveland are holding up as motive constantly. And it's finally under Detective Lundy's questioning that we learned two days prior to the murder, there was another social media post from the victim, Stephen Swaim, holding up two AK-47s and uh, declaring war on somebody and using language that I'm not going to regurgitate here. But that happened the same day as what else came out, that Stephen Swaim Jr. was robbed in a dice game by another gentleman. Uh, I don't have it in my notes here, but it was not Martez Burrell. So... One other bit of physical evidence that came out in the trial. DNA was found on the shell casings. Three different people. None of them Martez Burrell. So you might be wondering, why would the East Cleveland Police Department be targeting Martez Burrell? I am aware of this case solely because of the fact that I have worked closely now for much of my time as a journalist with a local uh, legal activist, Mariah Crenshaw of Chasing Justice. She worked with the Cleveland Department of Justice, uh, or she worked with the Department of Justice in helping to um, uh, implement the consent decree. She's uh, no one would dispute that she is uh, lives up to her self-proclaimed title as the, the records queen. And she started to look into East Cleveland at the request of um, citizens who were very troubled by an officer, Larry McDonald, uh, a.k.a. Pac-Man. And you can see coverage that I've posted of Pac-Man in the past. So East Cleveland is is very familiar to me now through the work of Mariah Crenshaw. Why am I bringing up Mariah Crenshaw? He's the grandson of Mariah Crenshaw. And what I have seen in this case is that East Cleveland only looked at him as a suspect and they are making a full court press, pun intended, I guess, to make sure he's convicted. And whether they're successful or not, one thing that has effectively happened is that Mariah Crenshaw has had a lot of sleepless nights and uh, had to attend a lot of depositions and hearings and work, you know, follow a, a, a very a case now that she shouldn't have to be following. She's not doing the work 
of investigating the uh, training records or lack thereof of uh, the East Cleveland Police Department and other departments. That is the absolute like tacit effect of this trial. And as I said, what has come out is pretty damning in terms of conclusively showing that there were other suspects far more likely who have not, who were never like zeroed in on once they had, they decided they, you know, at whatever point they decided to go after Martez because they found enough tenuous links to a murder victim. You know, I, and this is, you know, to bring it all back. What's my working theory here? A conspiracy? Well, there's systemic inertia. I know that. There's a system wanting to just protect itself if they made a mistake. And there is also the fact that in the course of uh, Friday's cross-examination, what we saw, if you were in court, was um, Captain, Captain Lundy's full record of police service across multiple departments multiple times he was given an ultimatum to quit or he would be fired in one instance because he uh, refused to give food or offered food to a uh, inmate who was a prostitute if she flashed her her breasts at him and he was also kicked out of being a juvenile corrections officer. He was pushed out of being there after found on disciplinary charges with the Ohio Youth Police, I believe, or maybe it was CMHA. Anyway, he landed at um, East Cleveland Police Department. And after a, a, a lengthy uh, destructive cross-examination from the defense, the only um, rebuttal that the prosecution gave a redirect was to ask Lundy, so once, when did you start in East Cleveland? And he's like, 2013. And since you've been there, have you had any disciplinary charges? No, sir. And is it not also true that you have risen in the ranks from detective to detective sergeant to now captain? That is true. So here's where you're seeing, you know, them basically the prosecution hoping that this largely white jury does not know anything about the city of East Cleveland. Where, where is this all, you know, where's this all going? Um, I've been just, I'm 20 minutes into a sprawling intro. Uh, I've gone over all over the place, but I'm saying like, this has been, an intense three or four months now. Uh, I'm about to turn 44 uh, later this week. And I love this work. But it's hard. And it's been hard on my family. And it's been and hard to, to, as a human being, take it in. And 
up until the last week, I have taken in the stories of wrongful injustice or, you know, wrongful prosecutions or seeing, uh, you know, reading court transcripts or talking to people who have seen it. And this week I, I watched it in real time. I watch lies being told with an arrangement of facts uh, through omission. I watch police officers who, when they're interacting with many members of the public they're supposed to protect are, are monsters sitting in a jury box and pretending to be affable, honorable, competent public servants. And it's, it's rattling. And meeting Phil <laughs> just by happenstance was really like a, um, a very quick and easy friendship. And this interview, which is going to be broken up into two parts, um, is actually like, you know, after he and I just popped on a Zoom to like do a chat about our mutual libel woes and get to know each other. And we, we ended up just um, really like, you know, being sort of on, uh, on the same uh, wavelength about like what we're doing and, and how, and, you know, we've had messy paths to get here and we're, we're trying to figure out a lot of things, but, you know, seeing that there, there's a, there's just stories out there that need to be told. And for whatever reason, no one's around there doing it. And, and I, um, I've really appreciated, uh, the, the friendship and the connection that he and I have started to develop and we will be co-hosting a new podcast, which I plan to be releasing in the first week of April. Uh, you can find links to follow it on Twitter, and you can search for an intro episode, which I will throw some sort of little trailer together uh, in the coming week, and you can check that out. Uh, more importantly, um, I wanted to let all of my Patreon supporters know that Phil has agreed to uh, all, anyone who is a subscriber on my Patreon gets a copy, a free copy of his book, The Pedogate Primer, uh, The Politics of Pedophilia. And uh, as I, you know, I, I hope is obvious from the title and I'll reemphasize all the content warnings. So... See, that's like its, all, its whole fucking episode. I can't release that as an intro. Can I? Ugh. Whatever. It was real. It's good enough. Um, oh, but I can't forget this. <clears throat> yes, subscribe to The Wire. Yes, all that. Phil uh, is um, going to be making himself available Later this week, Friday, I believe, probably uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll hop on. We'll do a uh, live stream Q&A. You can also join uh, via Twitter Spaces. We'll probably be on there. So uh, Phil is very um, open to scrutiny, criticism, hard questions about the work he's done, who he's done it for. And I highly recommend that anyone um, who 
you know, has problems with what he's done and actually engages with the work, um, he would only appreciate being corrected or told that he's come to an incorrect conclusion. That's all I can say from now, having spoken to the guy about five times as much as you're going to find in parts one and two of my interview with him. So uh, thank you for sticking around for this sprawling intro. And now here is my interview with Phil Fairbanks. I did it. I don't know. Maybe I did it. So I want to open with a quote here from uh, about mid to the latter half of your book, The Pedogate Primer, uh, The Politics of Pedophilia. Some people are allergic to the very word conspiracy, but conspiracies happen daily and many are far from the theory. So I want to welcome here to uh, the podcast, uh, Philip Fairbanks. As I said, uh, the author of The Pedogate Primer, The Politics of Pedophilia, and a journalist whose work I came across after um, recently discovering the work of Jimmy Fallon Gong and his mm-hmm. podcast, Program to Chill. And then you and I connected through um, uh, a mutual Jim. friend of ours, put yeah. us in touch because yeah. we... Uh, we're both dealing with some some libel <laughs> threats getting thrown at us about right. stories that touch on uh, real estate and 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 so we had like uh like already had like a five hour conversation <laughs> where we got to know each other and yeah. this uh, I think this episode is going to be the best attempt at, at recreating that so uh, I want to thank you so much Philip oh, and for having um, yeah. you want to go ahead and like uh, say anything to introduce <clears throat> yourself before we get into whatever this is going to be it's probably going to sprawl quite a bit, oh, yeah. but I, I want to get into a lot about how you got into this work and the work you do. And mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, uh, a, a, as far as writing, you know, uh, I don't know. I've been writing since, you know, a preteen. I think I was about like seven or eight years old. I remember writing a, a poem about a, a glutton who eats mutton and like seeing the look on my parents' face, they were really proud. And I was like, whoa. So writing is something. And uh, sure enough, I enjoyed it. Uh, It seemed to make my parents excited. So that was, you know, uh, good news there. And, uh, you know, uh, as I went on, you know, uh, I I wrote mainly like poetry and fiction when I was, uh, you know, uh, younger and a teen and everything. But then uh, then realized, uh, you know, in uh, around 18, 19, when I start uh, publishing things, I realize eventually that it's a lot easier to get nonfiction published. So I start writing music reviews and things like that, you know, just whatever to get my name in print, because to get in print, you have to have been in print before, you know, it's just like the, uh, the, you know, what is your work experience? Well, that's what I'm trying to get the job for, man. I need some work experience. But, uh, um, you know, uh, years of that, uh, you know, I was, I was on the, uh, uh, journalism staff for four years in high school. Um, but you know, it wasn't until, uh, about five years ago, I started writing for the, uh, inquisitor, um, that, you know, uh, from, from about then on, uh, I've been, uh, mostly, uh, prof- uh, you know, writing professionally, uh, pretty much steadily. I've, I've done some other stuff, you know, uh, writing about Kratom and 
uh, you know, just just whatever whatever people will pay me for. I've done some ghost writing. I've written ad copy. You know, just just whatever will uh, uh, keep the roof over my head and the internet connection going. Um, but as far as the Pedo Gate Primer book, um, you know, it's 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 not a fun topic. It's not, <clears throat> you know, as I've mentioned on other interviews. I mean, it was harrowing. You know, going through the process of of writing that, um, because it's a, it's, it's a topic I've written about off and on for like 20 years, but there's a difference between occasionally writing an article and spending 10 hours a day, you know, spending 50 hours a week, just reading about the most awful things in the world. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, what, what I really want to, I wanted to peck, I wanted to pull that apart a bit, how you get to, um, like you said, you're kind of like grinding out copy, like uh, mm-hmm. as as a means to be a writer. Was it uh, something that you were seeking out to? Like, I want to find um, under under like you know covered injustices, things that get swept under the rug, or was this something that like landed in front of you? And to whatever degree you were compelled to you know, as far as like my, my first story that got me into be like, yeah, maybe I'll do this was just like, I'm, I'm handing around like, this is a, a story. And every, and right. everyone I knew who was a journalist was like, yeah, but I'm busy. Uh-huh. You should do it. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how, uh, that trajectory was right, that yeah. something that was accidental or in that you were sort of just seeking out and by like the I, virtue I of say, like how your mind works. Almost accidental, almost accidental because yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, like, like, did I want to be writing about like, you know, uh, CIA atrocities and institutional pedophilia? Like, I wouldn't say exactly that I chose that. Um, it's just, uh, you know, uh, like, especially after 9-11 and I learned about the Skull and Bones and MK Ultra and all this stuff is going on around the same time, like right around the time that 9-11 happens. I've recently discovered all this stuff and it's like, whoa. It was it was a bad time to learn about the Skull and Bones and MK Ultra, like right after you know uh, the Bush era starts turning into this you know dystopian uh, you know surveillance uh, surveillance state nightmare. Um, but yeah, you know I'd I'd, I'd written about MK Ultra for uh, an online magazine and uh, for the ma- uh, print magazine Paranoia. Um, you know. The, the editor of Paranoia at the time, uh, by the way, uh, his pseudonym was Al Heidel, as in like in the JFK uh, assassination. I, I remember a letter, you know, he recently uh, died apparently just last month. Um, but, you know, I remember emailing him back and forth like in 2004 and talking about, you know, Disney and, and uh, you know, these Disney shows and uh, like uh, Hannah Montana and all this crap and you know, how it seemed like there was something darker going on. And then, you know, sure enough, you know, uh, uh, stuck with that kind of research. And, you know, there's like uh, Dan Schneider and multiple folks at Disney and Nickelodeon. And uh, uh, as far as like the book itself, I I think a a big part of it was, you know, we we had the the Pizzagate thing happened and the uh, uh, QAnon stuff happened. And uh, I remember like the first week after the WikiLeaks stuff kicked off uh, Pizzagate, I was really excited at first for about four or five days. I was really excited because I was like, whoa, people see these symbols that that I've known about for years. Like, you know, 
Some people think that was new stuff WikiLeaks was releasing. No, no, that that was known. That's been known since, you know, the 90s that there are certain uh, symbols used by, uh, you know, uh, pedophiles and traffickers. Um, And, you know, I was really excited when I saw like, oh, there's mainstream coverage of this. There's going to be mainstream cup. No, no, because immediately we have to start talking about like drinking baby blood and, you know, uh, just like the most ridiculous uh, uh, unfounded conspiracies. And it's like, guys, there is plenty there. There's plenty there that we can prove. We don't have to talk about, you know, uh, the reptilians uh, taking over the Queen of England so that she can teleport that's, into that's a, the you know? There's, there's the, 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 the wild thing is like that. And that's why I like that quote I opened with, um, you know, and, and the, that there are conspiracy facts and, and then there's like, there's the conspiracy that gets wrapped around the facts, which is its own conspiracy, which is the theories that shepherd people towards, towards you know, the mainstream narrative yeah uh, it's it, you know, it, it pushes it, you either towards the mainstream narrative or towards this completely warped disinfo narrative yeah yeah uh the mm-hmm. the spot that i try to inhabit in between those two um you know it's uh, like it's 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 apparently not uh not where you sit if you want like to to you know uh, get super popular or whatever you know i mean right. but like i said it's uh i think it's incredibly important to cover this topic and it's uh, equally important to cover it the right way cuz like i said there's well, there's, there's plenty to talk about then you know it, it, and i one thing that you know is if you aren't someone that's curious to go in and be like, okay, I always, I hear this thing thrown around by people who seem crazy or that thing. And then you go looking for it. And then like the first thing you find is something off the walls or whatever, but it's Mm -hmm. like, um, when you do find the authentic, crazy, true history and, um, you start, close, uh, you start around the lines of, uh, um, MK ultra, and that's where I want to make sure, like in this discussion, because listening to you and um, Jimmy from Program to Chill um, or other guests that he'll have on, there's sort of like rolling, like there's that, oh, I'm so glad to be talking with somebody that just knows every name I drop and every, right. you know, like, oh, and this, you know what I mean? There's like a shorthand that happens. And mm-hmm. and I'm still, um, some of the like research that he brings to light is very new to me. And then a lot of what you brought to the table is very new. But for anyone who's just like, what, what? like yeah, for my if, show, if this new would be, stuff for my start- show, this would be going off the rails feeling like, or, it you know, I'm out of myself yeah. like, oh, guess what? Like, you know, like I, I am interested in, and I, but I love the, the term for the field that, um, as, as emerged, which is like parapolitics, right. yeah, the things yeah. that happen along and underneath the overt politics right? and yeah. that stuff real um like you know like you said oh skull and bones and like you know that's that's not you know if someone might have heard that and think it you know oh that means you're someone who thinks the skull and bones rule everything no you're someone who's aware of like this is one of the groups where powerful people coalesce it would be convenient if there was like an illuminati with a single board so that we could figure out who the board like that would be great man you know wouldn't that be convenient if there was only one secret society that ruled everything rather than several uh 
NGOs and think tanks and secret societies and oligarchs uh, all tussling yeah. and working for and against each other all at the same time. You know, it's, and it's, the it's, value <laughs> of it is like, so we have right now, we have in overt politics, we have the, um, the, the means to go and see what, what, what is the overt influence on our politicians? I can go look up campaign finance donations mm-hmm. and this and that. The parapolitics, which is like really difficult research, but very valuable is when you go see like, okay, where did everyone go? You know, where does everyone go to school together? Yeah, exactly. Um, where, you know, where, where, where do all the graduates from this place come like from? It's, and, it's, and it's who- interesting that both uh, uh, Orwell and Huxley went to Eaton, you know, Eaton, Eaton makes certain minds apparently, you know? Uh, and yeah, just you see the same institutions the- and names. Uh, it, it's, it's the, the, the small world after all effect, I call it. When you start noticing the same names and the same places coming up over and over again yeah yeah but um so rolling back like if we want to like kind of like start out i want to talk about your book i want to talk about like the how you the work you've done um your most recent story that you partnered with um Alyssa fleck or flick mm-hmm. yeah it? yeah Alyssa um, fleck yeah Alyssa fleck um and i want to cover all that so however much time i got you for um, but like I said, it would be interesting to roll back for anyone who's like, you know, MK Ultra is maybe it's like, you know, they heard of it as like um, some obscure reference in a movie with right. conspiracy movie theory undertones yeah, or yeah. that was crazy. Think it's yeah. just, there was acid. So what's your understanding of the totality of MK Ultra and the likely legacy of that program right. as it relates to your book and, and another research? Well, you know, uh, it, it, I, I first learned about MK Ultra when I was uh, 18 years old, um, and it immediately, like, grabbed my interest. It, like, I remember when a guy told me about it, and I'm like, wait, the CIA used LSD in the 50s and 60s on, uh, you know, uh, unsuspecting civilians and mental patients and prisoners and soldiers and CIA agents. That sounds crazy. I mean, yeah, so does, hey, did you know that after World War II, uh, you know, the CIA helped some of the worst Nazi researchers escape justice at Nuremberg so that they could work for the CIA uh, and NASA? Like, that sounds crazy, too. And you know, uh, something I wrote in the uh, most recent uh, coverage I did uh, regarding uh, the Kai the Hitchhiker case. You know, it would be nice if that shouldn't be possible uh, was equivalent to that can't be possible, but it's not. No, uh, there's a lot of things that shouldn't be possible that are absolutely so. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, like, if you're not familiar with some of the backdrop, it does sound kind of crazy when you talk about CIA mind control. But as far as what it is, you know, uh, or how successful it was, uh, I, I think I think part of the success of MKUltra is convincing everybody that it was just like some experiments involving LSD rather than, you know, how much it had to do with infiltrating you know uh the the news media and reporting and having people embedded uh, as editors and reporters in all the major mainstream uh uh you know outlets uh that was a big part of it that you know mind control isn't always you know beat you over the head now you're a zombie you know 
brainwashing, mind control. Maybe that's not even the right words to use. It's uh, a lot of it is about cultural control. And, and I think that they've gotten really good at that. Like for instance, uh, you know, what I mentioned with the, the, uh, I guess you could call it the Infowars effect or the Alex Jones effect. You take something true that, you know, you want people to think is fake. Just have Alex Jones talk about it uh, and add some details that are completely false. And then if you mention any of the true details, people will go, oh, that's Alex Jones stuff and ignore it, which is like, Poison notice that Pizzagate came out right before the Epstein story, which I'd, I'd been covering for, you know, a couple of years before it made mainstream press finally, um, you know, it primed the pump for people to not believe like, oh, come on. Some of the richest and most powerful people involved in child trafficking. That's ridiculous. No, it's not. Um, Alan Dershowitz, Brian Singer, um, you know, uh, Prince well, uh, the Andrew formerly known as Prince, uh, uh, borrow that from the Prince and the Pervert podcast. Um, you know, th- these are incredibly powerful people. And yes, they were involved in trafficking. Les Wexner, uh, Peter Nygaard, um, you know, it, it, it does sound crazy when you talk about, it. oh, elite now, pedophilia networks. But I mean, you know, there's absolutely evidence for them. And uh, and the fact that it's, you know, that there's so many crazy, unsubstantiated theories, I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that it that absolutely the, some of the wildest conspiracies are weaponized so that people have a hard trouble, uh, a hard time believing anything that is true. Now, I guess where where things will break down for, you know, someone or, you know, like what and as you know, someone who's going to be open to the possibility of, of any sort of conspiracy is like um, the mo. you know, you have to have the basics of, of an investigation, like means, motive and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so means gets into like, you know, like the methodology used, like, you know, and like you said, mind control can span the gamut of just like what kind of entertainment is put out there or, you know, shaping, shaping culture in different, yeah, um, yeah. social media algorithms or mind control. Um, if you want to, if you want to yeah. go there, you know, I mean, it's a subtle oh, form of, of shepherding the way creators will talk about like, well, I do this because it that's the only way the algorithm will right. you know, and make sure yeah. you do this uh-huh. and like and comment and engage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but so getting then to like, you know, there's means and then um, I think where it breaks down for a lot of people, what might be like the uh, motive, like someone would have to be like a true believer of something to be that nefarious. You know what I mean? To, like they'd have to right. have been sold because everybody's the good guy in their story from, you know, the, the, you know, the racist cop to the, uh, right. you know, like the, the, the suicide bomber. They're the hero in their story, writing some wrong or with whatever makes them racist or, or, you know, like destructive in their mind, they've somehow cast it. You know, I, I don't think most people like, you know, that participate in, in systemic, um, oppressive systems or then like what we're talking about, like, you know, if you're getting into a web of conspiracies that requires um, some true believers. Now, a lot of mm-hmm. people, you know, where I say the opportunity might break down is people will always say, well, the more people involved, then 
the you know more opportunities for that to break down and i think that's because it, you're you know each time you introduce a new person like do they have the same level of belief and commitment to the cause and the secrecy mm-hmm. of it um and can they be protected by the system but i think when you're talking about government being involved and certain, you know, any type of hierarchical organization, there just becomes that aspect of like, well, when you get to this level of power and they pass the word down to do a thing that on its face is just like, everyone's like, well, I was told to do a thing. They don't see. And 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 why did that, why did that story go unreported so long? Power, power and money, power, money, access, connections, you know, it doesn't have to be um, a top-down conspiracy. Like, you know, uh, it that's just the way things work. You know, um, Amy Robach, yeah, all upset that they took away her Epstein scoop with Virginia Jufrey. Why did that happen? Because the royal wedding was coming up. It was no big conspiracy. The royal wedding was coming up. They needed access. You know, does ABC want to be the only worldwide major media network that doesn't get good seats at the royal wedding? No. So we're just going to have to let some more, you know, girls get abused uh, so that we don't get the so we don't miss out on getting the good seats at the royal wedding. You know, like I, I don't think there was so much, you know, like the Queen of England called uh, the CEO of ABC News and said, you'd better not. They didn't have to. Because that's just how access media, access reporting, corporate journalism works for the most part. Yeah. And and that's where like it's it is very it is very easy to see where um, the media uh, conspiracy can lie just from the power that can be wielded by a few powerful people. Mm. And this is where like, you know, like the the parapolitics of things gets involved where it's not even just like who has a friendly relationship, but like then like, you know, finding out with, I think where MK ultra and like the CIA connects and dovetails into the pedophilia and child trafficking aspect of this um, and human trafficking and, and sex crimes in general is having to do with blackmail. Oh, yeah, um, Absolutely. And, and 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 I am of the opinion that Epstein was well. What was it? What was it they told? Uh, you know, our former uh, 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 was it uh, not not Mnuchin, but uh, oh, I'm blanking. But um, yeah, they told him. You know, Acosta you can't or- Acosta. Acosta. They told Acosta. You know, you can't touch him. He belongs to intelligence. That's what Acosta claims, anyways. I mean, he literally says, hey, they told me you don't this doesn't go any further. This is done. And I mean, just right down to the fact that a non-prosecution agreement uh, against all named and unnamed conspirators. Whoa, that's historic, man. That's historic. I mean, a, a child trafficking network that spans the globe. And we just decided, however that all named and unnamed conspirators heretofore shall not be convicted of any crimes. That's, that's mind blowing. And and of course the fact that Acosta then went on to be, you know, like secretary of state or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does kind of make you wonder about like the nature of power and connections. And, you know, like they say, uh, it's, it's who, you know, and who you blow, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, 
it, it, people, like I said, people don't want to believe it's like that. But yeah, that's that's absolutely how the media works. Um, you know, you mentioned Alyssa, Alyssa Fleck earlier. She had an article she was working on, um, and you know, uh, it was it was pretty much complete. You know, she turned it into an editor, and then uh, they're like, "Listen, you know, somebody's saying they don't like this." You know, and like for you or me, we can just say, "Okay, well, screw you. Show me I'm wrong." Show me evidence that I'm wrong and I will retract and apologize. But until then, the story stays because this is my site, you know. Uh, but it's not like that when, you know, you're pitching to an editor or a magazine. And, you know, and the thing about that is, you know, it's nice to have that platform. But, yeah, you know, she had a story and it's, uh, you know, somebody with with connections and power. And it's not that the story is not true. It's not that she doesn't have evidence um you know like uh, it that's the story by the way that uh you know that got us uh kind of connected but uh i remember uh, going to her about it and i'm like listen you know there's this law firm and they're telling me and she's like no nah, don't worry this is not the first time i've had lawyers tell me to pull a story without giving me good cause you know don't worry about it so you know then i wasn't worried about it um yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting. Like, like I said, I will be more, uh, you know, I, I've been wrong before. I don't like being wrong, but I'll admit it. You know, that's integrity. And, uh, you know, so so if it turns out that there's evidence, then sure, I'll gladly apologize. But it's been a few weeks now and I'm still waiting. So I'm beginning to think maybe the evidence doesn't exist after all. <laughs> Yeah, and I've been, I you know, having having faced the uh, my first uh, threats of libel coming from an attorney, but um, lacking real specificity. Yeah, and you know, actually, this this very uh, conveniently dovetails right into like where your book goes next with the false memory syndrome mm -hmm. foundation. Yeah, that's exactly because, what I was so thinking. The, you sent the me the two things. Oh, yeah. Man. So the two things that the, the attorney uh, like like he sent me this long summary judgment from a federal judge that um, wherein the, the judge basically like didn't disprove the evidence that I talk about in my article. Mm -hmm. He just ruled, I'm not going to let any of this into an appeal. I'm not going to consider it for the right. appeal. That's a different thing. Um, and then he also cited that one of your other sources, Kelly Patrick, has this stalking injunction filed against her by her mother. Um, and Which it looks I like it didn't go through either, right? Like there was no cause shown? Well, they they did say like, okay, fine, she can't um, come visit you in Florida or whatever. But then there was also like she's tried other things too. But the, the point is like then she has been the one that's been stalking Kelly. I mean like I saw this was going on and like, well, how'd you see that if you aren't following me? Right. Um, <clears throat> but in, it was in the reading that, in uh, that whole thing, uh, that it, it, her, mo her mother relies upon defend a defense of saying that Kelly has bipolar disorder and, um, delusional the, disorder. the false memory, delusional yeah. disorder, grandiose, uh, behavior. Like, it it like that's really a, is like right out of the playbook. Like, you know, so much of this sounded so, um, you know, oh, well, uh, uh, admit she has no actual memories. It was just dreams and visions. That's what they always say. They always say that. Uh, whether hypnosis 
was involved or not. They always say hypnosis is involved. There are certain like hallmarks of these false memory uh, smear type stories. And, and by the way, false memory syndrome is a false syndrome. There is no such thing. Um, I mean, except in the media, uh, there's no such thing as false memory syndrome. Well, it's really sinister. It was created to be basically the, the, the false memory syndrome foundation was created by parents accused of accused molesting of their own daughter. And, yes. and they created this foundation that was basically found doctors that I don't know if they were all on board with it or were just like cajoled into believing it was a thing. Um, and some of them, the, by the way, know. also have ties to MK Ultra, of course, which, by the way, having a bunch of people who spent 20, 30 years trying to erase memories and implant memories now heading the scientific advisory board of something called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Yeah, that feels a little nefarious to me. You know, I like I, say, I see why people is, think I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, but come on, man, you spent 20, 30 years trying to implant false memories. And now you're part of an organization shielding pedophiles saying that they're, you know, it, it, it feels like there might be something there for sure. Uh, but or, yeah, no, like I mean, that, the, that letter in the yeah. in the filing injunction filing is straight out of the false memory syndrome foundation playbook for real. And and yeah, like you were saying, it was it was a mixture of CIA, uh, MK Ultra related scientists, some of the top memory researchers in the field, um, and some proud pedophiles. Uh, yes, you heard that rap. Proud pedophiles were members of the false memory, like uh, Ralph Underwager, uh, and you know the the Eberleys who wrote uh, you know published Finger magazine, which was. You know, uh, the LAPD was trying to bust them for uh, child porn for their magazine uh, that they published. And these are the these are the people who are running the False Memory Syndrome Foundation and telling you that, oh, well, you know, most most uh, most of the time when uh, a kid says that they were molested or raped, they're wrong. And it's a false memory. And the few times that they were actually abused, it wasn't really abuse. It was good for them. They liked it, actually. Like this is stuff that Ralph Underweger and folks connected to this organization actually said. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, the, the whole group is started by uh, 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 the Frieds. Uh, you know, Peter Fried is a mathematician who married his stepsister. Yes, who married his stepsister and was a blackout drunk throughout uh, the time when he is alleged to have been uh, abusing his daughter, Jennifer. Jennifer Fried, by the way, uh, Guggenheim, uh, uh, fellowship. I think she got a MacArthur Genius Grant. A few other, few other accolades. Just, just some tiny little accolades on top of being a tenured professor and one of the most, uh, most revered memory researchers in the world. Um, but no, her blackout drunk mathematician father, uh, who uh, works with Kielstrom uh, on this completely contrived false memory syndrome. It sounds sounds fancy, doesn't it? Sounds like something you'd see in the DSM, only, you know, it never was, never will be, because it's not a real disease. But yeah, they, they use the, the trappings of, you know, this, this cachet of respectability, the trappings of, you know, established thought, like, it, and... And, and they were really good at what they did. They, you know, they got on Frontline on PBS. They were on 2020. They, you know, uh, uh, Philly Magazine, uh, LA Magazine, you know. Um, 
I've been I've been getting some of the uh, uh, digitized files from the uh, Lewis Jolly and West archives. One of the MK Ultra scientists who was involved with the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, and you know I'm seeing like uh, articles on False Memory Syndrome from like 1993, and you know there's the cover sheet where it's faxed, and it's like, dear Pamela Fried. I thank you so much for your help. And oh, well, we know already that this story is skewed and going to be from one angle only because they are thanking the False Memory Syndrome Foundation people, the ones who, you know, uh, like I said, talk about gaslighting, by the way. You're a respected memory researcher, but your memory doesn't count. No, you're blackout, drunk, alcoholic uh, father who married his stepsister. His memory is good. Even though he was falling down, can't remember what I did 10 minutes ago drunk, his memory is to be trusted. But you, MacArthur Genius Grant and Guggenheim award-winning memory researcher, you don't know your own memory even. Uh, by the way, she, she does a lot of great work on institutional betrayal, as she calls it, with the, the, the Courage Foundation or the Courage Institute. She coined the acronym DARVO, which, you know, I hate that this happened to her, but we needed that acronym. You know, like I, I believe that sometimes really awful things happen and good things can come from it. Um, you know, I hate what happened to Dr. Fried, but I am so glad that she ended up doing the work she did, which I think in part was as a result of the way she was attacked by her own parents, for instance. Um, uh, but yeah, deny, uh, at uh, attack, reverse victim and offender, you know, Darvo. That's that's how the gaslighters work. That's how the False Memory Syndrome Foundation work. It, it, you know, I'm reading through that injunction, and she's crazy. And uh, you know, uh, I see that so often when attacking, uh, you know, uh, survivors of sexual assault and abuse and child molestations. Oh well, they're an alcoholic. They do drugs. They have mental illness. Yeah, it kind of happens when you end up with PTSD because of psychological scars that will never heal. Sometimes you end up on drugs, yeah. Sometimes you end up numbing the pain with alcohol, yeah. Sometimes you end yeah. up with mental illness that will never go away, yeah. D does that mean that it didn't happen? No, no. To me, that's just more evidence of the, the smoking gun of abuse, you know? Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that XYZ type of abuse happened, but yeah, uh, uh, far from making me think, oh, this is not a credible person. No, I'm thinking like, well... What does take someone from a upper a middle class or upper middle class home and then they end up, you know, on hard drugs or prostituting themselves or what, you know, because th this happens to a lot of these victims, these survivors, you know, they do end up, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and the Darvo folks absolutely use that kind of thing against them. When, like I said, to me, no, the fact that somebody, you know, oh, well, they're, they're mentally ill, they're screwed up, they've got PTSD, they use drugs and alcohol. Yeah, well, that sounds like uh, that might happen if, if, if their story was true. If their story was true, they might end up in exactly that situation. Absolutely, I agree. Oh, that wasn't the point you were making? Well, you might want to try and make your point a different way, because... 2017 called, and Me Too is still a hashtag, okay? Victim blaming... I hope and pray, is finally going out of style. You know, like not yet. Like we still got, like I said, Alan Dershowitz was invited on BBC uh, to talk about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. 
And BBC didn't bother to mention, oh, but and he starts trashing Virginia Jufrey. You know, it would have been important to maybe mention, oh, by the way, uh, Dershowitz is in court right now, uh, a libel case related to Virginia Jufrey. You know, you might want to mention the conflict of interest there, you know, before you have him over here trashing someone who he's in a, a civil suit with at the moment. You might want to mention that. But no, no, that's once again, that's not how access media works. You know, uh, you, you got the access, you got the you know, you got the right friends. Um, you know, we're talking about parapolitics. I think a lot of times it's it's really mundane. Like, you know, people's like parapolitics, skull and bones, mind control. No, man, it's so much more mundane. Sometimes it happens at a it happens at a uh, Moose Lodge meeting. You know, it happens at a uh, at a at a barbecue for the the city councilman. You know, like uh, I, you know, we're working on the Wire podcast too. Starting, uh, you know, starting this week. You know, uh, I'm about halfway first viewing through season two. You know that scene where Valchek. You know, I I saw you uh, tagged you in that tweet, but I love that scene where you know uh, Valchek makes it clear to Burrell, like, listen, you know. You you want you want the wheels greased? You want that commissioner spot? I've got the friends you don't have, and that can be done. And then, like you know, of course, Burrell was not you know didn't just fall off the turnip truck. He knows this is transactional. He knows this is uh you give some, you get some. Scratch your back, I'll scratch you know. Uh, and so he's you know well uh, you know what if anything would you like? He just laughs and he's like oh you know funny that you mentioned that. No, that's. That's how parapolitics, it's that simple sometimes. I, I'm in a I'm in a frat with so-and-so. I can get them on the vote. You know, that's how parapolitics, and, and you can't, you can't trace that necessarily through, uh, like you said, through campaign finance, uh, through, through uh, FEC uh, filings or, you know, uh, and a lot of times with stuff like that, there's, there's never going to be any smoking gun either. Um, so, you, you know, uh, that 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 for me is where it gets kind of you know uh, interesting and challenging because like I said I try not to I try not to push things that are too um, like there's a lot that's in my head that's plausible that I keep to myself that I don't you know I'm not gonna write that down I'm not gonna post that on Twitter I'm not gonna you know because as plausible as it seems uh, you know I don't have evidence to back it up. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the more you do lurk, look into certain situations, you start seeing certain signs, you start seeing, you know, certain groups, you know, oh, they're on the same board. Um, you know, like I, I remember once, uh, it, I, the, there's the, uh, CCF, the uh, citizens committee or, uh, uh, congressional, uh, congressional, uh, something Congress for freedom. It was a CIA front. Um, you know, the, the, the book cultural cold war by Francis Stoner Saunders is about it among other things. And, uh, so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so we know that the CCF was a CIA front and I'm just like Googling names. And then, you know, with the quote think tank or with the quote NGO, and I'm trying to say, and it's like, Oh, 
American Enterprise Institute is the think tank that had the most members of CCF. American Enterprise Institute may be a CIA front, or if it's not a cutout, it might as well be because it's got the same guys, right? So like little stuff like that, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot say that American Enterprise Institute is connected <clears throat> to the CIA. But yeah, like, you know, you, you look at the names, you look where, you know, um, you know, Mark Lombardi, that's a, that's another one of those, uh, uh, guys that I greatly admire, you know, Mark Lombardi, uh, Danny Casolaro, Gary Webb, uh, all excellent cases of, you know, sometimes following the money can be a very dangerous, uh, you know, uh, gig. Um, but you know, uh, like it really is there's you know uh like lombardi's um interlocks you know it's uh it's the only conceptual art that doesn't suck for the most part I, yes i said that um and and that's what they you know they 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 killed him for it i believe you know his his family doesn't believe that was a suicide the the news and the police report of his death uh are you know uh there's inconsistencies like what what's going on there you know uh, or the fact that this artist who did these, you know, interlock figures like corporate interlocks connecting Pat Robertson to Iran Contra, connecting, you know, Bush to the bin Laden family. And of course, yes, he died just before 9-11. And then the NSA showed up to one of his posthumous shows and then half of his 30,000 works disappear. Like, you know, nothing to see here, folks, you know. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. If you, you know, and by the way, as far as the whole like learning to follow the money, this is something um, this is something I'm still trying to learn myself. You know, uh, in the past few years, I've done more like actual investigative reporting rather than just, you know, what most reporters do is copy the wire, reword it. You know, well, AP says this and I changed eight words, you know. Um, but yeah, no, like, you know, uh, actually, actually getting into like FOIA stuff and a little bit of, uh, OSINT, you know, open source, uh, intelligence, that stuff's fun. You know, I'm, 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 I'm hoping to learn Maltigo in the next couple of years, um, that, that like talk about the Mark, Mark Lombardi interlocks. I want to make those, you know, I want to make my own like interlocks like Mark Lombardi, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to look, too, I gotta too look him up. I'm not aware. I'm not aware. Oh, you, wow. Yeah, you've been even like telling, yeah, dropping like Mark Lombardi. I'm like, that name oh, doesn't yes, ring a bell. Yes. Oh, my Gary God. Webb, I've heard of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was actually, I just got uh, this book from the library um, that was one of my first introductions to. Um, don't, oh, uh, into the buzz. You were telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got uh, Gary Webb. It's got um, um, Greg Palast, who was like the you know first one that just made me like look at like wow how broken the election system was and seeing that too become the sort of thing where now it's been poisoned as a subject where um i, I and i think i think there's a on you know there's there's a there's a liberal in my head or you know like some centrist Maybe not even a liberal, maybe like, you know, an Obama liberal, someone who like saw George Bush and was like, no, I like Obama because he seems like, you know, whatever, like, like, and that's where I think a lot of Reagan Republicans became Obama Democrats. All um, right. To a yeah, degree. yeah. No, I feel but, you. like um, I, I feel like from about Nixon on, 
the thin veneer between neoliberal and neocon has been melting into like nothingness. Uh, like especially like it really heated up from Reagan, Reagan, Clinton. What's the difference? Really? What's the difference? Obama, Bush, no, they got different skin tones, <laughs> you know, like, you know, oh, I can't believe Bush started four wars. Okay, Obama, let's give him the, uh, let's give him the peace prize and then he can start eight wars, you know, like literally, oh, not literally, I'm being slightly hyperbolic. But no, I mean, like uh, Obama did nearly li double the number of land wars that we were involved in in the Bush era. But, you know, I, the old joke, oh, don't worry. Those are progressive carpet bombs this time, you know? Well, and I was I was moving towards like, you know, like, yeah, I was calling myself a liberal by the end of the George Bush presidency. Um, but then, you know, as the, the primary heated up and then eventually when, um, you know, I started to watch how Obama governed and what, what liberals were tolerant of when it was their, their uh, person in charge. And then, you know, I, that's when, that's when I started to see like, well, I'm, I'm something more than a liberal or, you know, I'm not, not, that's not enough. Um, but the reason like they, they come, you know, these people come to mind who are ultimately though, like your centrist Republican to conservative, who thinks, you know, ultimately like, well, we're all of you on these fringe sides, you know, need to calm down. You know, the answer is buckle down, um, you know, take over the party. Electoralism mm -hmm. is like, you know, you know how you do it. Um, and, and you're trying to occupy this space Lesser where you want evils. there to be like one, <laughs> like, you know, and like, and I know this is where you and I don't think this, but I think they think people who, are intrigued by these subjects, whether it's like, oh, well, the CIA does all of these things to control, you know, have shadow power or this powerful group or that. And they think that, um, you know, immediately dismissive of, of the notion of, well, you're looking for that singular person in control right. because yeah, that, yeah. In, a, in a disturbing way, comforting or that you're, you're just, and I say that like people have these fears or, or well dismissals because they are actual things. That is an allure to some people. Oh yeah, like they yeah, yeah. Find I, I can see where thinking that like there's a like a committee with, um, and hoods. Of, like, I, yeah. I've found the secret truth. Like right, you know, like exactly. people who are sort of getting off on like oh, uh, like as much as you know, I I am uh, disturbed by how much people can be led along by common wisdom, conventional thinking or a narrative or this pop, you know, this story. Um, I'm never going to use the word sheeple, but there are people who are used that and revel in it. And it's like, I'm not one of that, you know, like yeah. you're doing it wrong. Um, and that's their allure to conspiracy thinking is like, well, I'm in the know I'm, you know, I'm, I, but they're not doing anything with it other than feeling superior. By the way, waking up sheeple wouldn't do any good anyways. They're sheeple. Go back to sleep, sheeple. <laughs> it's all right. Nothing's going on. Just have a nice rest. <laughs> I count sheeple but before I, bed. But you know, like, the, <laughs> so it's like there, there's a dismissiveness that comes from the people of who have, are very much pro status quo, center or center right, center left, I think. 
who um, don't really give in to a lot of this. And then there are people on the right wing who I think it's it's crazy how often you'll see like, you know, there are right wingers who um, like if I Google certain, you know, a lot of topics in your book. Well, then there's right wingers all over, like, say, um, Hollywood sex abuse. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, because it's godless Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, under then they're the just liberal, not quite saying the Jews. Satanists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's and like, where were you? So, where were you sleeping on Dennis Hastert, bud? You know, like, what about that Franklin scandal? Did you hear about that one? You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I wish so badly that it was like a. You know, like I said, uh, a committee full of guys in robes or, you know, just a right wing. Like, oh, uh, you want to babysit my kid? Let me see your voter registration. <laughs> no, it's not like that. It, it, it's, you know, that would be so convenient. That'd be nice. Yeah. But it's not like that at all. It's not that simple. So one thing I I do like we've already like just kind of shown like just with like going through it, how, um, you know, the, the way you layered the book, um, everything kind of builds nicely at first, you know, survey of like the, um, the chapters you're like, Oh, is this just this anthology of standalone? Right. Isn't this strange? Isn't that strange? But each chapter does serve to like, yeah, we're going to talk about MK ultra first because they're going to come up again. That's that's why they're in the book. Um, and then, um, like I said, the false memory syndrome that jumped out at me because it was it's being used to discredit a source of mine. Who? What's what's funny is they threw. What's really funny to me is, uh, let me just like, I, and I I think what's not funny is the, not the right word, but I, I, I is fascinating to me is I knew about um like you know kelly's allegations of like her you know being molested by her father and her mother we had like some like you know off camera beforehand talks about that and then her mother sent me the injunction which has where she talks about that in much more detail these were private letters she sent to her mother that her mom attached to a court filing Mm -hmm. and held it up to like look how crazy she is look at these messy letters and this and that um and i just found it fascinating that like what if if kelly had never told me about this and you threw this at me the you know the audacity of just like you know if this is false uh or you know or like you know the, the bluff that they're throwing out there mm-hmm. is pretty impressive um and then looking at kelly and being like i don't know how to see that and they're they're saying this and that, but it has nothing to do with like the story she's telling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and then one point, they... also the, the, tying back to Alan Dershowitz. Oh, yeah, you mentioned him before. You know, it reminds me too. Like, they keep telling me. I've been told now several times in emails that there's a video of Kelly on the night she was like arrested, where she's actually like the abusive one towards her husband and this and that. And I'm like, that they never give it to anybody. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I thought yeah. of like how uh, Dershowitz kept telling, he told like journalists, like, well, I have all these calendars here that prove Virginia Jufri is mm-hmm. completely like lying. And you can see that she was here and there. And then when they were like, well, we're going to need to take those calendars with us and, and 
cross check all of that. It's like, well, no, you can't. They have to stay in the office. <laughs> yeah, it's not that important to clear my name. <laughs> but um, yeah, so then going like then like you and also like we kind of skipped over the very first thing you you talk about which i think is probably um for anyone jumping into this um was surprising is is uh uh barry not dave barry oh, yeah, that's the yeah. different barry <laughs> jm um, yeah. barry uh and and lewis carroll and um like victorian era pe- pedophilia and no i'm sorry <laughs> He said Dave Barry and then Louis Grizzard because never mind, never mind, never mind. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Jane and, Barry and Louis Carroll and yeah. And and, and the yeah, Cleveland like, Street scandal is another one of those cases that that a lot of people have not heard of. It just it, I felt that was important to start out there, just like to show that we can we can trace back like, you know, people in literature and art and, and, you know, politics and high society being involved in this stuff, at least back to the 19th century, at least 140, 100, you know, so at least a century and a half ago, we know this has been going on. We've got the records, like the, the cover up only lasted 70 years in the case of, uh, you know, 70 or 80 years, I guess in the case of the Cleveland street scandal, but eventually the files came out and it's like, Oh, so, you know, Prince Albert might've been involved in a, uh, a bordello that was using little boys who were, you know, pretending to be telegraph messenger boys, you know, like that's, that's crazy that like for 80 years, you know, and they say, Oh, the more people that you get involved, the the harder it is to cover up for a century no it depends on how important the people involved are because you know like i you, you know we just had uh what's his name jacques uh jean-luc brunel you know who had uh, attempted suicide multiple times uh epstein's buddy uh now that he's dead by the way france will be able to close their epstein investigation cuz he was the last he was the last connection to that so now he's dead. They don't have to investigate it anymore. And the fact that the camera that should have been on was not running. And then he, uh, you know, come on, man. Well, we already had that happen once. We already had that happen two years ago. You don't accidentally let the guy who c- tried to commit suicide kill himself. No, no, that doesn't accidentally happen, you know. And and I'm not saying that Brunel was was murdered or or that it wasn't. Re- I don't know if it was. I mean, was it really suicide or not? I don't know. I, I can see both as being plausible, though. Like if if you're this guy and you do have this knowledge, you might want to do it to yourself before they do it to you, just so that you know how you go. Because there's a lot of ways to go, you know. And uh, I mean, you know, it's just as easily too if you have anyone you care about, right? Exactly. People, people with that they power can get to threaten you, right? They can say if you don't kill yourself, well, then bad things are going to happen to people right. you care about. And 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 once again, I don't know. I you know I don't know if there's anything to that, but I think you know just the fact that we didn't you know that 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 it wasn't you know a priority. To make sure that this guy sees a trial for his, you know, uh, I hate that, alleged connections to Epstein. 
You know, like when somebody dies before you get a chance to find them guilty and then you have to say alleged for the rest of your life, you know? Like, I mean, I get it. That's the way that, that that's the way the justice system works. That's the way, you know, that's the rule of law, whatever. I get it. But um, but yeah, it, it does make me understand when like, you know, uh, the, the when the survivors talk about like they feel like justice was stolen from them. Uh, anytime somebody like Epstein or Brunel or was it David Hamilton also in France, you know, when when these guys get outed uh, and, you know, kill themselves or, you know, are killed, whichever whichever the case is, um, you know, it's it's robbing it's robbing the survivors of closure. It's robbing the survivors of a chance for justice, you know, and and as far as justice goes, there's only so much justice you can get in a situation like that. You know, they call it justice. It's not, though. Like, you can't unring a bell, right? You know, the closest you can get to justice is what I, you know, uh, is the way I would put it. Because you don't get justice in a case like the like the Epstein Trafficking Network. Even if you put every single person who is involved, you know, all the Wexners and, and, and Nygaards behind bars for life. That's still not justice, you know. That's as close as we can get. But it, like, I'm looking at the scales. They talk about the scales of justice, like a rich guy uh, dying in dying in prison versus you know mountains of of kids with their futures and uh, you know uh, and and their hopes and dreams like robbed of them their innocence robbed of them that's you know the 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 scales are not balanced okay uh but when you're robbed of the minuscule you know as close to justice as you would have gotten it's you know it's it's yeah it's it, it can be disheartening to to a point that's that's something that i always try and mention in in interviews as well uh, is that, um, you know, something that I've learned over, you know, uh, the, the past, you know, couple decades uh, of writing in the, uh, the past 25, 30 years of dealing with mental illness is that, you know, being demoralized and depressed does no one any good. It doesn't do you any good and you can't do anyone any good. So, you know, it, it is like a balance, you know, I believe it's important not to uh, let this stuff get to you. Um, uh, like I said, when I was first writing this, oh, night terrors, chest pains. Um, I ended up back back in therapy for the first time in about five years, back on meds in the, for the first time in about 10 years. And, you know, still, still uh, in therapy and on meds. And it does help, by the way. Uh, you know, your mileage may vary, but for me, yeah, it helps. Now, um, we, now we jumped over that. So what what did what was the impetus for this book? Oh yeah, well, um, I, I had started working on something, uh, uh, the, uh, a project related to you know parapolitics and the deep state and shadow government and all this kind of stuff. And Pedogate was a chapter in that. Now um, the the deep state project kind of goes sprawling and it starts when, at when was this about? Uh, it, uh, deep state, uh, penetrating the veils of the unelected or shadow. When, no, when, 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 uh, yeah, when was this? Oh, uh, I started working on that in 2019, three years ago. Okay. I lost a year. So sue me. Okay. Last year I was literally, you know, bedridden for like nine months. So, uh, that put me way behind schedule. 
Um, but yeah, no, I had started on this one project and I will uh, eventually get around to uh, cleaning up the, the end of it uh, and, and getting it released. Um, uh, but yeah, I know like one of the, one of the chapters, uh, in that was related to, uh, you know, it was just Pedogate was the title of the chapter, I believe. And, and I was like, you know, actually I could expand this one chapter into a book. And that's, that's, that's how that did. But like I said, as far as the, the topic itself, um, you know, as, as I always tell people, like if everyone, everyone knows someone who was, you know, a victim of sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, you know, child molestation, you know, at least one person, whether you know that you know one person or not, uh, is not the point. Because a lot of people will never open up. A lot of victims, a lot of survivors will never open up about what happened to them. Uh, some won't even admit it to themselves in order to uh, tell anyone else. Um, all, I, but, would, I would add to that, that you, you know, because I uh, unfortunately do know someone who confided in me, like, you know, at a certain point they told me about, um, you know, someone in their family had, had molested them um, and, they, and, and it was a secret. It wasn't like out in the family so that their abuser just continued on to be their loving sibling. Um, but I, then I also like years uh, after, like I Googled uh the name of a friend of mine from like middle school, just seeing like, Oh, I wonder they had a unique name and I haven't seen them since I moved away. And it came up on the sex offender oh. database, like, like, you know, like something trying to lure a 12 year old. And oh, then I had, I know like a coworker, like a years later I bumped into it and, and they mentioned like, did you hear about Gabe that worked in that? Oh, like him and his wife were like, you know, like luring oh, in God. teenagers. So it's, yeah, you either know someone who was, or you know, someone who did abuser. it. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. You're, and or and, you're and I know abuser. of one, yeah, a guy that I was in like middle school with. And I remember, I remember the night he was arrested. Like, you know, I was working at Waffle House and he came in. And at one point he said, like, the cops were after him. And like, I'm like, Hey, just run back to the bathroom and, and lock the door. And I'll never like, that gives me chills to this day. You know, uh, thank God he was caught that night. I mean, like I'm of the opinion that like, if somebody comes to me and they says, Hey, the cops are after me. If, if you know, if it's somebody I know and would never have guessed then yeah, hell yeah. I'm going to be like, Hey, go over here, go hide. Uh, but no, it turned out he was like, uh, had had raped a kid that night. Uh, luckily, they got him that night. He, you know, hopefully he's still in prison, and if not, hopefully he's on the uh, the registry. But yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it, it's something that people don't want to think about, which is why we don't hear about it often. But uh, but you know, it's it's something. It's it's uh, you know, every every strata of of, of society, like there's there's no race or religion it doesn't touch. You know, there's, you know, that's why anybody who tries to put it on like, oh, right wingers, left wingers, brown people, white people, whatever, you know, man, it's, this is, this is one of the, one of those things that is endemic to society in general. You know, it's like a, a, another crazy thing about it that I've considered is the fact that like, when, when it comes down to it, there are very few like, um, universal taboos you know what i mean 
like for the most part, there are very few things that like cannibalism is not a universal taboo. Okay. Incest is not incest is probably one of the, you know, closer to a universal taboo, uh, harming a child for, for, for pleasure. Now that doesn't count like child sacrifice for religion. I know, I know that's like, but seriously, when, when you sacrifice a child and throw them in the volcano or, or cut their heart out for the harvest, then that's like in their head, that's societally positive. That wasn't done for the priest, the high priest's pleasure, right? Now, harming a child for your own personal pleasure, that's something that people who do think it's okay to rip a, a virgin's heart out for the harvest is, is deplorable and disgusting. You know, people who do think, well, you know, I mean, like, as long as it's just the, the heart of your enemy or the, the brain of your loved one, then that's completely fine. You know, like stuff that to, you know, most Western brained people, it's like, you know, oh, that's no, everybody thinks that's wrong. No, I mean, there's a lot of things that that not everybody thinks is wrong. But when it comes down to like harming a child for your own selfish purposes, that's something that even people who, you know, like I said, who, who think that. Well, it's it's like one of the most disturbing. I mean, there's there's a lot of disturbing parts in, in the book. And I'm sure like before I lead into anything on this episode, they'll just be like content warning for right. all of it. Um, but the, um, you know, there, there's very disturbing stuff and like, you know, what happened to certain, certain people and, and kids and stories. But, uh, one of the most chilling things to read is the pedophiles who try to, who have written like, you know, the bits you quote about them trying to explain like, no, this is actually really good. Kids yeah. need this sort of thing and it's fine. And like, they're, they're like, Justifying there was a huge turn of that in the seventies and eighties, especially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I still think back. Like, I was such a big Beatnik fan. You know what I mean? Like, I remember like reading Howl, and like, you know, at like the age of twelve or something. You know, like, uh, uh, this is an awful joke, but I mean, like, like I used to tell people, I I used to be really into the like Ginsburg and Burroughs when I was like 12 to 15. I mean, not as, as into them as they would have been into me when I was 12 to 15. But, you know, and it's like, then I hit my 20s and my late 20s and I start to think about like, dude, these guys, they're not joking about pedophilia. And they're not like, this isn't like some kind of, you know. I, um, I've never actually read, I've never actually read them like, you know, as much as like, you know, you know, we all have our iconoclast or like, ba like, yeah. oh, you know, that big story never read. I'm, I'm dreading finding out how much, um, one of my favorites, I think from that era, uh, who was very much into like LSD and, uh, is Tom Robbins and his books are full of allusions to pan and, uh, female sexuality and things like that. Um, and I, you know, as far as how often. Well, I did know an artist who knew Tom Robbins and occasionally got some gossip from him. And I've heard nothing bad about Tom Robbins, except for the fact that he can't write a script. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. They tried to uh, they tried to adapt. Um, even Cowgirls Get the Blues or one of his big books. Oh, yeah. And it was Gus such Van a flop Sam. that they were like Hollywood made a rule. No, that's Tom the wrong Robbins book. adaptations. <laughs> no, that that was the wrong. And you know what? 
I would love to see, you know, like you want to, like it would be amazing to do is a Tom Robbins series. Like you take Jitterbug Perfume and you just make that a, you know, a three season show and it's so sprawling and insane. Like, the, but the main thing about Tom Robbins is like the way he writes the words. Like, yeah, that'll just never be there. And that's, that's right. fine, you know, yeah. like, um, but yeah, I'd hate to have him, him taken from me, but it, it is, uh, it was crazy reading, um, reading that about the, 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 that wave of people back then. And even like you said, recontextualizing like like, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. um, And the scene with the 16 year old girl. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I was like 15 or 16 when I got into Hunter S Thompson. So like, it didn't, it didn't hit me that like a 30 something year old guy taking a 16 year old girl, getting her whacked out on LSD and then having his way with her is not like a cool quirky story that's that's horrific drugged rape that's that's you know that is awful that's nightmarish and it's you know uh but but yeah like i said are we are we like i mean are we part of is there part of this where there there's just like a macro cultural level of grooming in terms of like um you know, I, I look back and realize, you know, like I had friends who would be lecherous over like teenage girls. That was, I was never do. I always found like guys who like never shut up about how hot this woman or that was. I'm like, that's annoying. Um, yeah. and like the one time when I was like, you know, my mid twenties and, and there was like a 20 year old girl that like, was like flirting at the bar with me and it's just like we could you had nothing to talk about but she was really hot i was just like yeah i'm i walk away from that uh you know like the kind of guys that always annoy me and be like it was like well she's hot so i'm just gonna stay and say whatever i have to <laughs> yeah. but you know finding out though that like you know looking back like i never really thought of those guys as being you know as that you know and i'm sure they don't either when they're thinking like what so she's 16 or whatever oh, yeah there's like this fucked up like you know thing that like we're i think we're just starting to peel back now but i know as much as i would find that a, that behavior to be like that's not my thing i don't want to be around it like now if i was around someone who was 24 and they wouldn't shut up about like how hot a 16 year old was then red it, red it flags yeah and and it's yeah. weird because like things have come a long way. I think we're about the same age. You probably remember, like, do you remember the Mary Kate and Ashley uh, age eighteen countdown timers? And like, I was I was thinking about how like in that movie, uh, what you call it, uh, Cabin Fever, uh, Eli Roth, like one of the douchebag characters has a shirt. And it says Fresh by, and it's the date that the the Olsen twins would turn eighteen. And it's like. That, like today, that kind of stuff doesn't fly. Uh, once again, I think part of that is the whole Me Too changing the culture a bit, thank God. But like there was, it, it was, it was like kind of casual how like, you know, um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely kind of like gross and perverted. You had stuff like the, um, you know, in the in the 80s movies like uh, uh, with Brooke Shields, Pretty Baby and, uh, what was that blue lagoon like you know blue lagoon seriously like i don't know man like i don't know why there were so many movies in the 80s with topless 13 and 14 year old girls i don't i don't understand that man i don't get it 
But yeah, it does sort of feel like like in the 70s and 80s, there was a push that didn't quite like they weren't able to push the envelope far enough. And then it receded. It's like it's like the tides, man, ebbs and flows, you know. But yes, there's that I, I you know, I do believe that there's an element of normalization um, uh, uh, that, that's been going on. Yes, for years. Absolutely. And I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly like, I don't know with all of this, like getting into, yeah, where does this come from as far as, you know, like with things like this, is it, is it about power ultimately, or is it like a trauma that gets passed on? Like, well, like I said, you have the, whoever it was that was writing like the, re, like really praising shit about how this can be good for uh young, you know, young uh teenage boys to have yeah. relationships with male lover men- yeah, mentors mentorship. you know yeah and, and yeah. I, I, I was reading that and i just couldn't help thinking like is this guy just trying to rationalize his trauma like so you were molested by an older guy and you're trying because like it wasn't it was a good thing up, that happened to me it was a good I thing that happened hurt. to me it'd be I like it'd be like it. if i yeah like my yeah. part of my story is you know i wasn't sexually abused i wasn't physically abused but you know i dealt with like you know a father who was an alcoholic and very neglectant and it put stresses on my family and this and that you know but I turned out like a healthy guy and this and that. And like, well, the answer is actually like every kid should have an alcoholic dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know. Like I, I couldn't help thinking is like, is that part of what's going on here? Like, <laughs> you know, I think, I think there's various, you know, uh, causes. Uh, I, I, I think that that's definitely one of the elements at play there. Um, something else that I, that I bring up that, that I've, you know, read, uh, you know, read some, some theories related to the idea that, um, at, you know, like I said, it's something that, that attacks and attaches itself to every strata of society. But I believe that at the top and bottom rungs, you're especially vulnerable because at the bottom and the top, pedestrian mundanities, the, 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 the pleasures and the things that we look forward to and the things that we save up for, are out of reach or uninteresting, you know, like for, for, for a lot of us, we can go see a movie. We can, you know, spend some time on the internet to do whatever to pass the time and, you know, find, uh, you know, do something interesting, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, if, if you've got everything, then what else is there to get? If you've got nothing, what is there to lose? Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think that there's definitely like, um, less holding you back when when you're at uh, like certain extremes of the of of the class structure there, um, and I also believe that absolutely the the people at the top utilize desperation of people at the bottom uh, of of the class structure. You know that that's where you end up with you know all over the world there are people who, well, you know I've I've got six kids. And I can only afford to feed three, but if I loan out two to the trafficker, then we all get to eat, you know? Like, that's that's something that I I, I don't want to have to fathom, like the kind of tortuous thought process that makes you think, well, we're going to starve to death, or I loan out my eight and 12-year-old daughters, or sons, or whatever, you know? 
like uh but but yeah they, they're definitely like i said i think there's a there's a class element uh to it there i i, I also think that like as we mentioned before um blackmail ops i think that that's something you know honeypots in espionage you know everybody knows about like mata hari and josephine baker but um i i think that in a lot of those cases uh the honeypots are epstein style operations or like what craig spence was was running with uh, lawrence king in omaha with the franklin scandal you know um and, and, and stories like that, like, you know, it, it always blows my mind that, like, you could have a headline that, that makes major waves and ends up on, like, you know, Dan, Dan Brokaw is talking about, like, you know, um, these young boys being given, like, midnight tours to the White House, um, you know, VIP tours to the White House, uh, like, and then, then, poof. The story evaporates. It's no longer of interest. You know, it just disappears. Like that's that takes that takes some swing. You know, to make a story that big disappear. Um, and you know, we were talking about mind control again. That's that's mind control right there. You know, the, the military uses the term uh, civilian perception management or truth projection. That's another term. Uh, truth projection perception management mind control you know like call it whatever you want but like yeah when you're trying to project a certain narrative and get people to adopt it and believe in it and think they came up with it you know i'm looking at all this stuff with the ukraine war and i don't know i don't know how you feel about the whole like we haven't really talked about that uh and i don't want to get called a putinist or an authoritarian but i'm sorry whenever like every youtube socialist and Biden and Trump and the alt-right all agree on anything, I'm going to disagree just because. Just because that does not... Mm -mm. I don't know what's going on, but I do not agree with everybody who's agreeing who never agrees on anything. Because those people never agree on anything, and they're all agreeing on Ukraine. So, like, you know, re regardless of what's going on in Ukraine, I know there's a ton of disinfo, uh, there's a ton of misinfo, uh, and the propaganda game is in overdrive. Um, you know, so regardless of how you feel about Ukraine or Russia, I think that's something that's pretty much indisputable that there's been a lot of, you know, faked pictures and, you know, Sam Hyde from Million Dollar Extreme is the ghost of Kiev and the YouTuber Wings was the first American shot down. And no, man, none of that happened. And you've got like the blue check marks are out in full force, spreading literally fake stories and then getting mad at Snopes. That's that's another thing. Have you seen this where like people are getting upset at Snopes for saying, yeah, that ghost of Kiev video is real. <coughs> so Russian disinfo know, is bad, I know, I think it's but anti-Russian really... disinfo is good. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just think it's fucked up if anybody right now is like jumping up and and thinks that it's a useful thing to spend your time on is to go on Twitter and be like, fuck yeah, Ukraine, fuck you, Russia. That'll but do I it. mean, all of that this. Made, you just made the world a better place. Thanks. Why, why are you doing that? <laughs> I um, hope you feel better too. I don't too. get it at all. Because you just but, saved Ukraine. Your, your hashtag saved Ukraine. You know? I remember when the Coney stuff. You I remember do. Coney I mean, I do get why people are doing it. But it, it's, 
it's certainly, I mean, to me, it's like we've been primed to like, and I, you know, we haven't gotten into like, you know, as far as conspiracies go, like, well, uh, how much was real in quote unquote Russiagate? And like mm-hmm. you were talking about like, well, I found the timing of QAnon very su- suspect and I found the timing of the entire Russiagate narrative oh, yeah. happened when the DNC leaks came <laughs> and they tried to distract, you know, like it was like equal. You have QAnon distracting from uh, anything with, you know, Podesta and like linkage to like, you know, like we said, that might be like legitimate whatever uh, messages or codes that were in there. But more importantly, too, like um no one talked about the contents of the dnc leaks every like in the media the like you know or or denied their veracity when it revealed like who obama was putting in his cabinet and things like that um they all immediately jumped on like these were leaked by russia and then that all of this was somehow russia you know was meddling with our election and to whatever degree that that might have been possible i do know like the mechanisms of our, our our voting are so distorted and warped in state after if, state. If, if Hitler comes that, back that to we, life and leaks some information, leaks some dirt on the CIA to WikiLeaks, then I'm still going to appreciate the leak, man. You know what I mean? Right? Like I'm not yeah. gonna like I'm not all of a but sudden. Hey, now I'm. What a, did that man. do? What, I mean, I immediately was was disturbed by the fact that like that was the that seemed to be the Democrat the Democrats like, you know, um, way to like, you know, look at the, look at the monkey defense from mm-hmm. the DNC yeah, email yeah. leaks was like, it's Russia. And then they also, they could not, and most liberals too, could not reconcile. How did Donald Trump win? It had to have <laughs> right? been like America's like a- better than this. Damn it. America's love- <laughs> better than this. This has to be Russia. There's no way. Oh, look at this Putin puppet. And everyone just loved uh, having that narrative. They And I feel like I lost lots of friends because favorite. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I don't like this. We all from- they would talk about was like Russiagate and, and Mueller's going to find this and, yeah. and whatever. I wouldn't be all on board. Or if I'd ever just get You're tired of it, be like, will you let go of this shit? <laughs> exactly. Then I was in, I was a delusional idiot who wouldn't accept it. And I'm like, you don't you see like all they're doing is trying to make it blame anyone but themselves for putting up such a shitty fucking candidate. <laughs> like Hillary was terrible in that race and, and made no concessions to the, the Bernie people who, and this is the constant mistake of all the oh, liberals Bernie. and the Democrats is thinking that they were owed all of those Bernie people. Oh, they if didn't they had get stolen Bernie the primary. Stolen. Bernie might have beaten oh, Trump. He would have at least given that him was a run my, for his money. That was saying. my other like experience. My first cons- real conspiracy, like too, is seeing, and I'm sure you've seen this too, and I think I've seen it in the stories you tell of your book. When there's a conspiracy, oftentimes I believe there's a nice little yin yang. On the white is incompetence, and the mm-hmm. black is is malice. Right. And yeah. So what they you know did like in in stealing like you know um, in in certain aspects of the primary where they tried to make sure it went for Hillary is things where it's like oh this whole voter registration drive of students didn't get into the system. Oops. Well, that was they fired like a clerk of courts for like mm-hmm. accidental database purges and said, mm-hmm. Oh, she fucked up, but she's fired now. 
And they use that incompetence to mask the malice of like, no, they were purging the database. And then, you know, one of my favorite things about that whole deal is where they had to like go to court in Florida and basically like they set a precedent where the DNC has has is not democratic anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the people want. The primaries are for show, man. We put who we want in. They literally changed the rules. They went to court saying, well, you know, the votes, you get to vote. That's a suggestion. If we don't want Bernie, Hillary wins. And and we'll make the electors, you know, like the delegates or whatever. What the hell is a super delegate? Come on, man. Like one vote, one, one count, you know? Like there shouldn't be like, I mean, like... Uh, I, I, I don't think we should go back to the three fifths major. What is it? The three fifths rule, you know, where like, yeah. well, you're, you're, you get your vote and you get three fifths of a vote for every slave you own, you know, no one vote equals one vote. You know, there shouldn't be super delegates and all this, all this nonsense. That's just an excuse for them to like, if you accidentally had an actual candidate running, um, it would be easy to yank the rug from under their feet. Uh, and, and, and yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think some of the well, most damning stuff uh, from WikiLeaks. The Democrats is- will will say that, like, you know, we're, you know, we're the champion of, like, voting rights and how, you know, they're, they're always, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, most liberals think that, like, well, Democrats are, you know, more on the side of, like, you know, they're always fighting against voter ID laws or this or that. But then... If you go look at like how the primaries work in New York state mm-hmm. and and the people found out like, oh, you had to be like five months ahead of time. And even then, like they threw out all kinds of people. And that goes back to, like I said, the uh, yeah, this end of the buzzsaw book with the first story I read from Greg Palast is him pointing out the media narrative of Gush of Gush versus Bohr. Bush versus Gore (laughs) was um, uh, was hanging chads and 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 a few questionable like confused people looking at the yeah (laughs) but the the real story was that Catherine Harris um, as Secretary of State performed deliberately flawed purges of their voter database. They, they're like, well, let's take our felon, na- every name that's a felon, and if the name matches up on the voter, let's let's just purge that person to be sure. And what do you have? You have a lot of people uh, in prison that are African-American with a lot of shared like last names or common names, like, you know, like James Washington or, you know, John Brown, things like that, that, you know, like they knew it was the right kind of flawed where it's like, we're going to purge more African-Americans than, oh, than otherwise. Yeah. Wow. And that story got picked up by, um, it was amazing to me that like, you know, he, he had his article in this anthology and then it was also covered by the, the BBC. He ran like, he had a whole like video report about it. Not one thing here. And, you know, for, I think for, you know, your first reaction, which is like the same thing I have when I have stories come to me that are like too bad to be true. It's like, what am I missing? What What's flawed in here? Why is no one going to talk about this? Right. You know, it's kind yeah. of to an extent, you know, it's come, I'm coming to terms with dealing with that now with like having a story 
and the, a the fact that like this the lawyers baldly like pushing like libel threats of me that are like what don't make any sense and then b that none of the press around here is going to like touch the story like the, right. the most interested people are people in into like you know not the normies yeah well you know look at brian Sa- oscar winner brian singer um i can't remember was it a vanity fair or you know it, one of these major major publications is doing a story an expose on you know his years of uh you know molesting kids and uh it passed legal like it passed legal it passed fact check and then hearst publications killed it why oh they didn't give a reason (laughs) you know yeah and now eventually it comes out in another publication the same author i think but but yeah like that happens like it's a huge story it's massively important um you know like uh, over the past week the 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 kai the hitchhiker story you know he sent me uh i know i was telling you about that like uh like i've been going through this list of names and it's like these are like state legislators and uh town assemblymen and uh judges and prosecutors and public defenders and they're all in all these cases of like sex crimes and crimes against you know, sex crimes against children, and none of them in the news. None of them in the news. Like one is like a judge's son uh, rapes a five year old, and then two years later, it turns out that judge was like you know uh, exchanging sexual favors. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's the same judge. It's the it's his son that he just. Uh, you know, got that completely like uh, covered under the rug. You know, Ryan Ryan Boylan is not on the sex offender registry as he should be. You know, it's 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 mind blowing because, like I said, this is like thirty years worth of these aren't just nobodies. These aren't just not even just randos with uh, who passed the bar. Like a lot of these are like prominent people, like. One was, uh, you know, a state legislator who had a law practice with a senator. You know what I mean? Like, I would think that if that guy got involved in, you know, like, it's, it's, it's just mind-blowing that all these stories did literally just, just disappear. That was not considered newsworthy by anyone. Like, 30 years of that going on in New Jersey, and it was never considered newsworthy. Well, now it's, like I said, it's starting to look kind of systemic to me. Uh, The most recent case example is from 2021. So it's not stopped yet either, you know? And and stuff like that, systemic issues like that won't stop once, you know, uh, uh, (laughs) what is it they say? You know, the the only thing necessary for evil uh, to flourish is for, you know, good people to do nothing, you know? Like, this stuff... When, when uh, under the cover of darkness, it, you know, uh, these things will continue to happen. So it's important to shine a light on it. Um, and, and especially, like you said, w- when you get that pushback, like that's, you know, maybe I'm crazy, <laughs> but like, that's a good feeling to me. I, I kind of like that. Now, I don't like it when I can't get a story published anywhere. But like, yeah, that 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 bit of pushback, it does at least tell me that, okay, I'm on the right, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm onto something here, you know, 
so so yeah, I, I absolutely believe that in both of our cases, like these stories that we have that nobody wants nobody wants to cover them and and you know some people are working hard to trying to uh, you know try to get them pulled. Um, no, that is that is a credit to how important those stories are. If they weren't important, you know, then you know the, the, there wouldn't be such what what seems like a almost coordinated effort at that point to uh, uh, to get it shut down and make sure that you know these stories aren't brought to light. Uh, I think we're gonna outro and then go right into an intro for part two. But uh, while we've stopped, let me. Um, have you let everybody know where they can, where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can, you know, follow you and and how to best help out. Yeah. Well, uh, Phil Fairbanks.com P H I L Fairbanks is spelled in Alaska. So Phil Fairbanks.com is where, you know, uh, I try and keep like, you know, this interview, whenever it goes live, uh, I've got an interview section and that's, uh, you know, whether it's interviews I've conducted with somebody or that somebody's conducted with me, all those I try to keep together. Um, so philfairbanks.com, a lot of my writing, a lot of my videos, a lot of my interviews, all that stuff's there. Um, you can also uh, find me on Twitter, Kafka Guy, as in Franz Kafka, K-A-F-K-A-G-U-Y. So Kafka Guy on Twitter. Um and, you know, I've got a Patreon that I never use, um, that I never post anything to. Uh, like one day, maybe I'll start posting stuff to that. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> now, how, but, how uh, do people uh, how do people buy your book? Because you were oh, kind enough to the, send the me book, a PDF. Uh, yeah, the the book. You know, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. Um, you know, there's a there's a bookstore online in Poland. There's a bookstore online in Taiwan. There's one in New Zealand. There's one in Australia. Um, you know, so whether you're in Europe, the Antipodes, Asia, or the U.S., there is an online bookstore near you uh, where it's available for sale. Um, you know, of course, Amazon. I, I hate Amazon, and I know a lot try of other people to make do too. Amazon if you so can. you know, so I, I try and make sure that we have plenty of non-Amazon uh, uh, options for people because you know, it, like what we talk about a lot about the concentrated power. I'm sorry, but whenever something gets close to a monopoly, that's going to be a bad thing. That's always going to be a bad thing. It's a monopoly has never been a good thing ever in the world. Uh, so yeah, you know, like if, if you've got Amazon prime, I'm not going to judge you for getting free shipping though. So, you know, it is available at Amazon and Kindle as well. And like I always tell people, you know, if, you know, if you're poor like me and you, and you would like a copy, you know, I, I feel this is an important book. I, you know, uh, I, I've been accused, like there was this guy who made a, uh, I don't know if I told you about this two and a half hour long video about me talking about how I'm, you know, into QAnon and, uh, uh, all this crazy stuff. And, you know, uh, obviously did like, if he'd spent that two and a half hours, like reading my book or listening to interviews with me, then he wouldn't have had to waste the two and a half hours making up stuff. That's not true. But like one of the things, oh, well, you know, he jumped on to this because of the Pizzagate and QAnon and he's he's trying to make money off of. No, no, this is a topic I've been covering for 20 years and I knew that people would say that, which is why I on every interview I do, I always make it clear. You want a copy? 
Go to philfairbanks.com to the con- contact section. It's got my email there, kafkaguy at gmail.com. Uh, you know, uh, send me a DM on Twitter, uh, whatever, you know. Um, uh, I, will extend, I, I will extend that invitation too. You can reach out to me if, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you know, I'll, I'll share my copy with you if that's right. fine. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's a lot of really valuable information and you know, it's interesting. You said that this book was born out of, it was a chapter in another book. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, every chapter of this could book be, could book be its own, own book. Exactly. Yes. And one of them will, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm announcing it. Like uh, I've I've been really like top secret about what my next book project was, but now that I've found out that it's not my next book project, I can tell everybody that yes, I was working on something related to the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Yes, I've talked to Dr. Elizabeth Loftus and uh, you know uh, Drs. Brooke and Cece and you know Lynn Crook and all these people on both sides and you know. Uh, now that I've gotten all the information, like, I hope I can still get more interviews, but like, that's something that I I hate to admit it, but I have had some weird trolls and stalkers try and try and throw some salt in my game, as they say, you know? Uh, but no, at this point, I think it's safe to, uh, to say that, yes, that was what I was working on. But now I realize there's a couple of archives that aren't doing digitized anything right now. So I will literally have to go to New York. I'm going to have to take a Greyhound to New York. Oh, man, that's going to be so much fun. Tennessee to New York on a Greyhound and back. Oh, wow. It's going to be so much fun. I'm excited already. I love stinking on a Greyhound for days. Have you ever done that? It's so much fun. (laughs) Like, I love the feeling of my own sweat on my body for the third day. I love smelling (laughs) the person next to me on their fourth day of sweat. It's just, it's just a wonderful thing. But no, so, uh. So the False Memory Syndrome Foundation book, uh, 2023 at the earliest, because it'll be the end of this year before I can afford to get to New York and back. Um, But uh, at the moment, I'm also working on a couple other projects, uh, one related to uh, Kaczynski's connection, uh, not direct, but by a few degrees of separation to Epstein. Like, you know, how Stuart, uh, Stuart Brand and John Brockman and once again with the CIA and cybernetics and MKUltra and Silicon Valley and all these little ties that are going in various directions. It's, you know, the the documentary Dust Nets, The Net, because um, it is it's like a web. Uh, really inspired me, along with David Livingstone's article, which points out that Dust Nets mentions Edge.org, which is funded by Epstein. That's when it was like. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, no. Okay. So, and, and once again, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying there's a direct connection. It's more so about the the many indirect connections and seeing how that web works. You know, all these various, like, where the nodes are going. You know, I'm wanting to explore that. But the next and, book... And you know... Oh, sorry. The next book will probably be, um, you know, the, the, the Kai the Hitchhiker thing. Man, like I said, I, like, he started telling me... Because in my first article, I was talking about the Cleveland Street scandal and how this reminded me of that. And then he gives me a list of names going back 30 years in New Jersey, several of them from the Union County where Joseph Galfi, the deceased lawyer who may have done this, you know, drugged and raped other uh, indigents before. You know, it's like that's when it was like, okay, yeah, this this is going to be the next project. This is this is very time sensitive. Um 
so yeah, the Kyla Hitchhiker project is what I'm working on right now. Uh, that'll probably be the next like a uh, full length book to be released. But, uh, but no, and then after that, like I said, I've got three or four, uh, outlet, uh, you know, outlines and, you know, bibliographies started. Um, I'm finally getting into the, the note card method, which I gotta say, like, it's kind of tedious, but at the same time, like, I don't know, like I'm all about like physical media, you know what I mean? And like, there's certain ways that I can think on a piece of paper with a pen. I can't think that way on a, on a text document, you know, like I can't draw arrows in a word, in, in an RTF. You know what I mean? Like I need to draw arrows sometimes. I need to, uh, you know, triple underline something sometimes. And yeah, I'm sure there's a way to do all that in Word. I don't want to learn because it's not the same. Like I literally, like I, you know, there's a difference. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully, hopefully, uh, later this year, we'll have the, the, the Kai project coming out. And then after that, uh, Kaczynski and the false memory syndrome foundation also one about the roots of Lovecraft, just because I'm going to need a break. Okay, guys, I'm going to need a break from all the, you know, freaking evils of the world. I, you know, just give me a few months where I, where I geek out about like weird fiction from the, the like late late 1800s early 1900s give me this please you know